afternoon. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. What a positive day. What a nice thing to wake up to this morning. Yeah, I'm going to admit that I didn't stay up for the entire Mariners game last night. I was a little gassed after a three-hour show yesterday. Made it through the Jays game until that old uh, cancellation. Or not cancellation. What do they call it? They, they just called the game. I don't know if there's a name for it. The Toronto Blue Jays will host a wild card series here in Toronto this weekend. That's the news you probably woke up to. Maybe you stayed up late. Maybe you toughed it out. Maybe you became a Detroit Tigers fan for a couple hours. Sorry, if so, because uh, when aside last night, it's not the brightest of times uh, to be even a temporary Detroit Tigers fan. However, the Tigers come through. That combined with the Jays beating the Orioles 5-1 to one in seven innings and change means uh, nobody can catch the Jays. Seattle can't catch them. Tampa Bay can't catch them. The Toronto Blue Jays will host the wildcard series this weekend at Rogers Center. We don't know if it'll be Seattle or Tampa Bay yet. I ran those same simulations I talked about yesterday, ran them again this morning for the remaining Seattle and Tampa Bay games. We're looking at about 91% chance it's Seattle. Seattle's magic number is two. Over the Rays, so any combination of Seattle wins and Tampa losses that gets to two would lock Seattle in as the Jays' opponent. Seattle's got a doubleheader today. First one's at 6 o'clock. Uh, they'll play two against the Tigers. The Rays in action, of course, as well uh, against the Red Sox later. And uh, lots of afternoon baseball on today as Major League Baseball tries to uh, squeeze in the last of these games. And yes, it's a popular question again. Already in the text line, what happens if uh, if the Jays and Orioles can't get these games in because it's rainy in Baltimore once again? A lot of counting crows these days. But the answer is I don't know. Um, my logical answer is they would bump the game to tomorrow and try to play a doubleheader. But because the game doesn't really matter for anything other than, you know, it, it matters to players for counting stats, to fans for revenue and things like that. But realistically, if you can't get that game in, you're not going to change the wild card setup or the wild card schedule just to get in a, a, what's mostly a meaningless game. So if you are in front of a screen. Aaron Judge continues to try to go for 62 uh, in a doubleheader today. Uh, Two o'clock, eight o'clock Yankees Rangers doubleheader. Uh, the Nats and Mets are in a doubleheader starting at four as the Mets and Braves continue to jockey for uh, the NL East crown and a bye through the first round. The other team will make the playoffs, but we'll have to go through the wild card process. And then Tigers Mariners. Uh, again, the Jays relevant one. That one gets going at 6-10. Rays at Red Sox, 7-10. It's Jeffrey Springs against Nate Evaldi there. Uh, the Tigers, the first game is Chris Flexen against Eduardo Rodriguez. We don't know the starters for the second one. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Well, the Tigers game won't start while we're on the air. So we'll keep an eye on that later on, on Twitter, and you can certainly keep an eye on it as you're watching uh, the Blue Jays game later, 7 5 First pitch, if it happens. Jays win 5-1 yesterday. Jose Brios gives him six. Whit Merrifield stays hot. 
Let's bring in Joe Siddle and Chris Black to talk about it. You know them from Sportsnet. Chris is a producer uh, and at Down to Black on Twitter. Joe Siddle, of course, on Blue Jays Central uh, now and throughout the playoffs. Joe, how are you? Very good, guys. How are we doing today? Doing well. Chris, what's up in Baltimore, man? How's the weather looking? Uh, outside the hotel uh, window, it is overcast, mm. but not currently raining. But lots of rain in the forecast for tonight. Uh, Chris, what do you think would happen if they can't get the game in? Are we doubleheadering tomorrow? Are we doing 161? What's, uh, has there been any chatter down there? Uh, absolutely no inside knowledge. A couple of the guys and I were just talking about it uh, in the TV truck. I would be shocked if they played a doubleheader on the last day of the season um, when it doesn't have anything at stake. So I can see a scenario where this game is canceled or rescheduled to tomorrow, but they only play one. Again, pure speculation on my part, but I would just, I'd be really shocked to see them play 18 innings on the last day of the regular season. Well, maybe they can do what they did yesterday and just get enough innings in to call the game. And uh, Jose Brios gets the, uh, he almost got to sneak his way to a complete game there if they had, uh, they had called it a little earlier. Joe, that was from a results standpoint, about as good as it's gotten for Jose Brios lately. Uh, one run over six innings. Um, the Jays only having to use one inning of a reliever in Tim Mesa because the game was called early. Um, that's probably not enough for me to be confident with Jose Brios in a wild card game. Um, but did you see anything within that start that that increased your confidence in him? If we look at you know, the fact that the Jays are going to need four pitchers if they're going to do what they want to do these next, this next month. It's funny with the way you asked that, Blake, as you were talking right there, my answer was going to be, do you have another choice? <laughs> as a four starter, say in a division series, I still like him on the roster in the wild card series. And mainly because you, you like some length, some sort of insurance in case something catastrophic happens like Gosman or Manoa getting a line drive off the shin early in the game. Plus, you got extra innings now, right? The, the rule changes. I think that's really important because you get into the 11th or 12th, you might have to get to a guy like that, and hopefully he can give you, whether it's two or three or four or whatever it might be. But I do think that's why he's on the roster and really the only reason for a, for a wild card series. And then as we move forward, uh, yeah, you're going to need that for a starter. So, yeah, it's certainly it's, – it's probably more than anything mentally a nice way to finish for Burrios last night. It's been such an up-and-down season. He's, you know, they threw seven lefties at him. I thought that was pretty severe. You know, we don't, we, we see teams do that, stack lefties, you know, against Barrios and against Manoa, but seven's, seven's pretty extreme. So I thought he, he really just stayed away from them a lot. A lot of backdoor breaking balls, the changeups, and that was all fine. But it, it was kind of classic him. I, I don't think, you know, he got into trouble in the, in the third inning and kind of got out of it. That was a great sign because we have seen those wheels fall off hmm. before when he starts missing arm side and walking a couple of guys and, so that was a good indication, but I think more so than anything for him because this game's crazy that way. And I don't know what it's like to make his money and to play for as long as he has and be as good as he's been. But you know what? They're human beings too. And you have that little guy on your shoulder, that little doubt. And I'm sure it's been on his shoulder all season long. So that at least will give him a little positive vibe going into the postseason. Joe, it's funny you you make the self-deprecating remark because I was just as you were speaking, looking at your baseball reference page to see if you had oh, played no. it to see if you had played in the postseason <laughs> to set that up. But um, we'll we'll round back to where that question was going um, a little later. <laughs> um, so, Chris, I know that you've been looking at Jose Brios' season 
a lot and the ups and downs of it. And we don't need to rehash, you know, every little thing that's gone into it. Um, but do you feel any differently than, than Joe and I is your, I, I know you've, you've kind of gone back to a handful of times this year that Jose Brios has been fine more often than not. Um, you know, it just doesn't look great on the whole because he hasn't had the great outings to balance out the bad ones. Um, where Where is your confidence level in Brios having gone through the ups and downs so far? In the last two to three weeks, I'd say, Stripling has become the clear number three uh, to me. Um, maybe it was, I think it was clear to a lot of other people earlier than that, but I always, I still saw the upside in Barrios, but just what, what Stripling has done in the last few weeks, coupled with Barrios struggling relatively against the Yankees and in a couple other starts, he's the clear number three. Barrios is the clear number four to me, but it's, it's like what Joe said, like you need all hands on deck. Um, to succeed on a deep postseason run. I think back to, and I fully agree about having him on the on the wildcard roster. I think back to Ivaldi going five or six innings of extra inning relief in the 2018 World Series. I think back to Pavetta, who I want to say is the DS, maybe it was the CS last year, Joe, Joe, but he gave the Red Sox four innings of extra inning relief. Um, you never know when you're going to need one of these guys to give you multiple innings of relief so i it was a it was a definite bright side uh bright sign like of what we saw last night especially in the conditions hmm. but i definitely think you need him on the roster and but i just i don't think yeah level of confidence he's clear number four right now which is fine uh again we're like we've all said you, you're gonna need a fourth if you're gonna do what you hope to do here um tay oscar hernandez uh giving him a big assist last night which i'm not sure anyone would have had uh on their bingo sheet um last one kind of uh, uh looking at the the wild card rotation it sounds like we're all in agreement that stripling would be the third guy joe you were sitting next to arden zwelling on the weekend as he made the case for possibly starting ross stripling in game two so that if you swept Gosman would be available for game one of the ALDS. Maybe the cut on Gosman's finger answers this one for us, but can you can you remind us, or, or for anyone who missed that, why you don't love the idea of holding Gosman back for a game three? Well, I just think Kevin Gosman's the better pitcher, and mm -hmm. that's hard to say with the year that Ross has had in all due respect, my goodness, and, and maybe Ross would agree with me too, but it's Kevin Gosman, and he's been fantastic, and I just, you know, the finger thing is very interesting, and it sounds like the reports were all good yesterday, but hey, maybe Friday rolls around or Saturday rolls around. It's like, you know, one more day would, would really help. Then you slot Stripling in there. I wouldn't do it if Gosman is fully healthy because he is your guy. He is your number two right behind Manoa as far as I'm concerned. And uh, hey, if you've got a game three and you've got Ross Stripling going, feeling pretty good about that too. So it's really a can't-lose situation because you've got two pretty darn good guys there, but I still think Gosman is a tick above or ahead of Ross for me as well as Ross has been pitching. Yeah, game three with Stripling and what you'd imagine is a, a bullpen that's in pretty good shape coming off off day Manoa Gosman. So um, you'd have, you know, you'd be pretty confident in your back innings there, I think, as well. Um, I kind of I kind of joked there a second ago that that Teoscar bailing Barrios out in that would be rally was a little unexpected. And Teoscar Hernandez has been someone who's drawn the ear of uh, fans or analysts at times for 
some blunders on the base passer in the field. And it's been the same for, you know, the big one with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. The other week, um, Bo Bichette had a couple as well. Um, Joe, have you seen the response from those guys that you needed to see after that kind of, you know, it kind of hit a, a boiling point last week, early in the Yankees series. Have you seen what you wanted to see out of these guys since? Oh, absolutely. And I think especially in Teoscar. And I remember coming on one of our updates and kind of showing my disdain for something he did. It wasn't hustling out of the box. And then um, there was just this past week where, and we've seen it, we've seen him uh, now crush a ball, look at it for like a split second. And then it's like almost hilarious, throws his bat down, starts running like a little kid. <laughs> so it seems as though the message from John Schneider certainly came across and uh, some good hustle into second base and a good slide. I made a note of that too, because we've seen some bad slides this year where guys have popped off the bag, sometimes kind of chance in something that wouldn't really happen. But other times, yeah, it's pretty simple. The quickest path is directly into the base. And then the pop-up slide is something when you're taught 11 years old, just do it. Never mind this head first dive where you're flying all over the place, unless it is to manipulate your hands and, and avoid a tag. But with Teoscar, he is just that kind of player that I, 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 you know, we, I don't know if any of us know Teoscar well enough, but he looks like the type of person that is so laid back <laughs> that that's the way he plays the game. That's the way he plays life. And that's okay if your focus can remain there. But that's the problem is I think we see that focus, lack of focus, jumping every once in a while to a point now after all that we've seen from him over these years I told Jamie on set one day, I said, I'm done getting angry with Teoscar. Like, it's just who he is. He's proven that. But, man, when he starts playing the way he has now, maybe it's timing well, too, with the bat coming around because this game's not a lot of fun when you're not hitting the ball very well. But uh, it's it's much improved, and I think part of that is the message probably that came from his manager. Chris, um, in terms of Teoscar hitting as well as he has, and, and, you know, Joe makes a great point there that it's it's easier to stay locked into all aspects when one aspect's going so well. Um, Teoscar has really emerged as one of the most dangerous hitters in baseball against fastballs and against stuff that catches the meat of the plate. What have you seen in, in Teoscar's hot streak? And if you're an opposing pitcher, what are you trying to do to, to pitch around a guy who hammers the stuff he's supposed to hammer at a, you know, a top 10 borderline top five level now. Yeah, we posted uh, or we showed a, a hot a heat map uh, yesterday during the game of Teoscar's slugging percentage and the numbers within the strike zone, especially middle, middle kind of up and over the plate are kind of like video game numbers. Um, Arden's got a little bit more on this tonight if we actually have a broadcast about kind of the difference between you know Teoscar's always going to have chase um we know that we just sometimes he doesn't pick up sliders well and he's going to swing at a slider in the dirt um that's what savant would classify as like a chase waste pitch he's gonna he's gonna swing at a higher than average rate of those but what arden and i have kind of been talking about this morning is kind of where he can differentiate himself and is where is deciding what he's swinging at. Is it over the meat of the plate or is it over the edge of the plate? When, cause middle of the, or heart of the strike zone, he's a top 10, top 15 hitter in baseball, the edge of the strike zone, top 100. So if he can, and this isn't something necessarily new, but sometimes we, and I think I've said this before on the show. Sometimes we make a mistake of just looking purely at chase rates. Mm-hmm. So, 
don't swing at balls and swing at strikes. It's not as simple as that. Well, baseball is way more complicated than that. But with Teoscar in particular, if he can stay away from the pitches that pitchers want him to swing at and instead wait for a mistake that's bound to happen, he can barrel it up as good as anyone in baseball. So Teoscar has shown some some growth in that regard, and he's probably the best bellwether of it right now. We've talked all year about Bo Bichette's kind of evolution and his challenge to find out what his level of aggression looks like um, when pitchers are adjusting to you and you have to adjust back. Um, Joe, when you look at this team as a whole, and, and the three of us uh, and some others were on an email thread a couple weeks back about the type of pitcher that can get to the Blue Jays, are you seeing the right combination of plan and confidence up and down the lineup right now? Or are you still seeing a couple spots where if you're the Rays or, or you're the Mariners over these next couple days, um, you're hammering home, hey, this is what we got to pick at against the Jays? Well, I think they're going to be hammering it because it's what they have to pick at, you know, staying away with the cutters and the sliders and the fastballs and all. But this team has certainly adjusted and done a lot better, I think. And, uh, you know, I, I would say it's nitpicky of me to say that, oh, this team's easy to pitch to because I've been one to say that in the past because they have adapted. And look at Bo alone. Like, it's ridiculous the different hitter he is right now and, and kind of the way Chris was describing to Oscar. I almost feel like Bo is that way, you know. It's not like he is shrunk his discipline to where he never chases. He's an aggressive hitter that is going to chase, but he's also going to do a lot of damage. And uh, he'll still, like I, I think it was last night, he flied out a fastball like in off the plate. Like he'll still swing at those balls, whether they're on the inside corner or in off sometimes. Maybe it's 1-0 and he'll do that. So uh, as a catcher, I would say get himself out. So those sorts of things will happen. But when you go up and down the lineup, you look at the danger, and now you bring in a Whit Merrifield, and then Tapia gets a start. He gets a couple of hits. Like, everybody's just kind of firing. So it does make it difficult. Um, the one thing right now as we speak, you know, the playoffs started tomorrow. Kirk's gone into a little bit of a funk, and mm -hmm. Chapman's been in a horrible funk. And Vladi is Vladi. It's amazing he hit a home run last <laughs> night, but he's still he's in a funk, right? Like, it, it has not been really good. But but up and down, there are just so many dangerous weapons. And just uh, don't forget about George, hashtag postseason Springer. Like, I can't wait to see him perform in the postseason. This is what he has done, right? One of the better postseason performers in the league. So for the opposing pitchers coming in, they'll be game planning all right. But I think your only chance is to do that. I will say back when we were saying away, 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 much like I just referenced earlier, we are we feel like I've seen pitchers challenge in a little bit more, too. So it's kind of that back and forth, that cat and mouse game. But, man, when you try to come in, those guys, you better get it in there because just like Chris was describing about Teoscar, you know, you grip that thing a little tight and leave it middle, middle, he'll get you. Yeah, that's uh, that's a risky one. I, I know what I would do, um, but I'm a coward, so I, I would be staying uh, way outside. Chris, um, Joe mentioned Whit Merrifield there. And we don't, you know, we haven't seen Whit Merrifield in the playoffs before, so we don't need to necessarily go into the, well, he's a playoff-style player, even though it does look like he, he brings some of those kind of micro traits that might be more important these next couple of days. Um, but I think you, you tweeted, I think it was you, um, that the Jays have maybe, or Whit Merrifield's come to this on his own, but but it's since he uh, came to the Jays, a little more aggressive early in counts. Do you think that's a product of, you know, he's hitting at the bottom of the order with better hitters around him and, and not hitting one, two in that Kansas City lineup? Or, or did the Jays maybe see something in his profile here to help him with this mini breakout? 
Yeah, it's tough to say for sure. Um, I do. Yeah, it was me. I posted something today on how the Jays are kind of reverting or showing some of the elite team-wide skills that made their offense so good last year. And there's two particular areas. One was ambushing first pitches. Uh, they were far and away the best team in baseball at that last year. And we're just kind of off a little bit for the first few months this year. September, October, they're elite. And what you're referencing, Whit Merrifield, he's swinging at more first pitches in September and October than he ever has in his entire career. Now, there's two ways to go about that. You could say it's like a Blue Jays thing. It's osmosis. It's it's hanging out, watching Vladdy and Bo swing early and often and to Oscar at pitches. Or a, another kind of plausible explanation, as, as you kind of alluded to, is bottom of the order, Teams know what's coming up in one or two batters. They don't want to walk a guy down at the bottom of the order who can't, you, you would think, has less of a chance of, quote unquote, hurting you than some of the other guys. And so they're trying to get ahead and he's just reacting. My guess would be that if you were to ask with Merrifield face to face, he would say, I'm not doing anything different. I'm just reacting to what's happening to me or how I'm being pitched. But I do think that's one thing that's kind of changed. And the other thing is they're ambushing breaking balls. This team is mashing breaking balls again. And again, it's something we saw last year. Um, t- certain hitters in particular, Lourdes, Teoscar, uh, Vladdy, would sit spin. And we're starting to see that kind of production ramp up as well again in September and October. And one of the things I said is like both those strategies, they require you to be like really confident in your strategy to sit spin or to really go after a first pitch. And that's, I think that's what kind of felt like it was missing earlier in the year, but they just, they seem to be firing on all cylinders right now. It's a long season and that journey through adjustments and counter adjustments is a, is a tough one, but it certainly seems statistically like the Blue Jays are in a pretty good place on the eve of the, the postseason here. Joe, two games left. We hope maybe only one game left. We'll see. Um, are, is there anything you're looking for or hoping to see in these last 18 innings or so of Blue Jays regular season baseball? No, not really. I'm, I'm guessing for Schneider, it's just a time to get everybody what they want. You know, you ask Bo, do you want to start tonight, go five innings, get a couple of at-bats, Springer, Vladi, Teoscar, it goes on and on. Even Chapman probably could use a day. He's really been getting after it. Uh, I was hoping, actually, the weather would be better today and not tomorrow because maybe uh, everybody getting some work in on a Tuesday and then having the two days off before the Friday game might be nice. But Wednesday would work, too. But I, as Chris said earlier, there's no way you play two games tomorrow. I'm sure the league would step in there and, and not allow that for a team that's heading to the playoffs. So we'll see what the weather does. But I think it's just all about getting guys what they want. And, um, you know, as we've seen this year, Bo has clearly been a guy that wants to play every day. But maybe get them out of there. <laughs> Sometimes you got to be the adult in the room and say, no, you know, Chapman might say, I need these 18 innings. I need the AB. No, I don't think you do like get off your feet and, and stay healthy. You guys, because come Friday, the curtain goes up. And I, I, the only experiences I had going back to what you said earlier, about the postseason, I was very close. My big first big league call with Montreal in 93, we were like 10, 11 back. And we got to within three of the Phillies. What a rush for the first time being up in the big leagues and getting all that. So that was as close, but then working with the Tigers, going to the playoffs with them several times and being in that clubhouse and being in the batting cage and on the field and around these guys. And so many guys will reiterate that come Friday, everything's out the window. It doesn't Hmm. matter if you're nine for your last 72 or you're 15 for your last 21. It's just, it's a new season 
And I mean quite literally, nobody cares about their numbers. Nobody, nobody, nobody. You'll do anything to cash a run in, move a run over, advance 90 feet. It's, it's crazy. It's like, a, it's like a different game almost, although we know it's the very same game. So that's the exciting part about the postseason, and you'll probably see that in a lot of the players. I'm sure you'll hear a lot of the players say, oh, no, it's just another game. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> the curtain's up, and it's the postseason, so I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, there's a reason that they don't count playoff stats in, your, in with your regular <laughs> season line. It's that, yeah, if you gotta, if you got to make a productive out, you don't worry for a second about that batting average. Uh, Joe, I guess my last concern and my last question, it's not even a question, really. Um, on the weekend, you're going to be doing Blue Jay Central from your normal spot in, in the 100 level, the Rogers Center. Are we going to be able to hear you over, you know, like 49,000 people at the Rogers Center for playoff baseball? Well, it depends how loud my mic is, but I know <laughs> I'll be yelling. <laughs> we, we usually get a pretty good crowd. And Chris, you remember this last year on that final fateful day of the season when the Blue Jays swept the Orioles and we're all sitting around our set waiting for those other game stands. And people were piling around our set. They must have been six and eight deep. It was really, really cool until Devers hit that home run and <laughs> took the Blue Jays out of the playoffs. It was amazing. I mean, everybody just kind of sunk and went silent. And, like, they were walking away with their tails between the legs. So the emotion will be high, I am sure. And uh, I think for all of us, this is this is pretty awesome. 2020's playoffs were not quite the same as we all know. We were in a studio. I remember doing those games with Buck. So, uh, so I'm thinking more about 15 and 16 right now, and that stadium is going to be electric. And look at how well it ties into those last couple games of last year where the Jays won number 91, and that wasn't enough. Here we're talking with two days left in the season. They're at 91. They're in, and they don't have to look at the scoreboards for much other than uh, who their opponent is going to be. Uh, Joe Siddle, thanks so much for taking the time out. Keep up all the great work on Blue Jays Central. Looking forward to it in the playoffs. Okay, boys, be good and have some fun. See you, Joe. Chris Black, uh, you stay dry over there. Um, we've had it confirmed to us, by the way, uh, in as much as something like this can be confirmed, that there would not be a doubleheader tomorrow. They just scrap tonight's game if it's canceled. They're not going to make the Jays uh, play a doubleheader tomorrow. So you stay dry. And uh, in more ways than one, if this game gets canceled nice and early, uh, thanks for taking the time out, buddy. It's easy to stay dry in the TV truck. Quick shout out to Arden Zwelling, though, who needs to hang out in the camera bay and was very cold, very wet, but he toughed it out. Shout out, Arden. Yeah, built different, smoke nose emoji, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> exactly. Okay, right. See you later, Black. Chris Black, uh, producer of Sportsnet at Down to Black on Twitter if you want to see more uh, of that thread, which combines video and stats um, about just how well-rounded the Jays' offense has ended up here toward the end of the year. Uh, a couple other ways we can frame that. These are from me, not from uh, him. The Jays' rank in terms of offensive production by batting order spot. They are top 10 in seven of the nine batting order spots. The only ones they're not are two and four, and they're average in those spots. Uh, they are first in the six, seven, and eight spots in the lineup, fourth in the fifth spot, sixth from the leadoff spot. Uh, you can do that by position as well. And the only spot they're not in the top 10 is third base, where they're way down at 12th. So um, there are a lot of ways to chop up how balanced this offense is. We did it the other day. There was a, a text line question about the Jays struggling against righty sliders. And once we dug into the numbers, it was like, well, 
they do relative to what they normally do, but everyone hits sliders poorly, and the Jays are actually a, a top five to top seven offense uh, against right-handed sliders. And we've done that, breaking it down by you know fastball, breaking ball, off speed, or, or righty lefty pitcher type, all those things. And there are weaknesses, sure. There are there are going to be teams of people looking for holes to exploit. But overall, the Jays uh, rounding out in a pretty balanced spot here uh, toward the end of the regular season. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to go right back to Baltimore and talk to Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic. We'll see if she feels a little bit differently than uh, Chris Black does about the weather forecast and see uh, how she's doing down there, what she's looking for from these last couple games and you know what? We're just going to keep rolling with what Joe was talking about there. The playoff excitement. I believe this is going to be Caitlin's first playoffs covering. Uh, I mean, first real playoffs. Uh, so we'll talk to her about that next on Jay's talk plus. Oh, and uh, Buck Martinez is coming up at three o'clock. So stick around for that on Jay's talk plus on sports at five ninety. the fan. Welcome back to Jay's talk plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Jays possibly in action tonight at 7.05 against the Orioles. Game 161. They currently sit at 91 and 69. In the top wildcard spot. Locked in. Their spot in the bracket is locked. Their spot for games Friday, Saturday, and if necessary, Sunday are locked. And they're at Rogers Center. Uh, we're joined now by Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic. Caitlin, this will be your first real playoff action covering I, i'm not counting 2020 on zoom I, I can't imagine you would count it either right oh no i <laughs> barely even count that season uh existing um yeah i have been at playoff games before uh before i covered the team as a fan uh so i think i went i definitely went in 2016 and i went in 2015 uh, i believe as well both of the games i saw were losses i believe i was there through our last game in 2016 um, when like Cleveland won it. I think I was at that game. Ugh, that's uh that's tough. I, I am refusing to remember any games that I was at that year, except for the wild card game, which um, my memory might be like t- a tiny bit fuzzy on for uh, who knows <laughs> what reason. Um, how, how much are you looking forward to this? I, I know that the baseball season is, a grind for the the people covering it day to day, as well as for the players and coaches. And it requires kind of, you know, the long view and some patience. And as John Schneider would say, uh, celebrating the, the little things like that. Um, how cool is this for you? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think I won't realize maybe like how cool it is to cover it until I'm actually covering it. But I will say I am quite pleased that I don't have this like wild road trip now <laughs> because there was like a scenario where I'm I'm in Baltimore right now and there was like a scenario where instead of flying back to Toronto from Baltimore I would have been flying to potentially Seattle or somewhere else um, and then maybe from Seattle going straight on to Houston and so uh, I talked about this I think on my podcast is just like you're packing for scenarios of like three days or you know six days or potentially like 10 or 11 days <laughs> or something like that so um just from like my selfish perspective i am excited just that my travel is a lot more straightforward at least for the la- the next week or so here that i can just fly home to toronto 
be at my own place, be at my own apartment and, uh, you know, kind of start my days from there as opposed to hotel room and all that kind of stuff. Well, not to burst your bubble, but you come Monday, you're going to be right back on the road because uh, it's off to Houston if the Jays take care of business on the on the weekend. Um, aside from the lack of travel, what are you most looking forward to this weekend? Um, well, definitely seeing what the Rogers Center is like. Um, I think that there was a bit of a preview of it in the last homestand there, especially in those Yankees games. They were there was just a lot happening in those Yankees games, and the crowd was really, really good. It was good on the weekend too. It was just that like those games were like pretty non-competitive with the Red Sox. So I think like you know there was things to cheer about, but it wasn't that like tension and drama. Um, that you get in closer games. So I'm excited just to see like what the Rogers center is going to be like, how loud it is, like how, how it plays. Um, and, you know, I'm obviously exciting to watch the games. I mean, whether it's the Rays or the Mariners, I think that it'll be pretty close games. I mean, both those teams have really good pitching staff, so it's going to be a challenge for the Blue Jays either way. So I'm just interested to see like how they respond to the challenge and, you know, this is a team that's like been kind of like dreaming of this moment mm. since like last year at the end of the year, which I think was a year ago yesterday, um, if I saw correctly. I mean, this was a team that was you know, lost in pretty much the most devastating fashion you could possibly lose in a sense of, you know, playing right until the end of the season and playing well and then not getting to go to the postseason. So they have been kind of like aiming for this moment from honestly since last fall when they couldn't get there, but certainly since spring. So I'm I'm excited or just really interested, I guess, to see like, okay, guys, here you are. Like, here's your moment. You're in the playoffs now. Like, what are you going to do with it? For sure. And that's uh, it's especially interesting with how many of the core pieces of this team either don't have playoff experience or have like a Matt Chapman, a very limited, uh, you lose a wild card game and that's it kind of experience. Um, I know that, you know, guys like Kevin Gosman and Anthony Bass were around Toronto uh, in 2016 and 2015 uh, as part of opponents in Bass's case on a, on a taxi squad. Um, but for this team, how Obviously, he's been one of their most important players all year anyway, but the fact that George Springer has been through this, has a 900 career OPS in the playoffs, has postseason MVPs, um, does he take on an even larger importance these next couple weeks? I think so, and I think he's already done that. I think that I've kind of heard from the team that in the the last month or so, George's influence has been – Uh, Not that it's not prominent throughout the year, but certainly at the end in September when, you know, things can get tight for teams. uh, It's, it's George who's been the guy that's kind of leading them and saying, you know, it's, we don't need to do too much at this time of year, you know, just keep playing your game. And it's, it is kind of tempting to think you got to do everything in September. And again, like to go back to this, I don't think you can like talk about this team without talking about sort of like, what they went through. And so you think about like last September for them and it was good, but you know, they did have some slip ups, which ultimately cost them. And so I think that his experience getting to the postseason, but also sort of like knowing the road to get to the postseason has been really big for this team. And I think now that they're there, that influence is just going to play a bigger role and not just like him there to talk to, but like also him leading them on the field. I mean, <laughs> you, you cited his numbers, right? Like he's a very good performer in the postseason. And I thought he's 
he's looked good down the stretch here. Um, he's been playing well, hitting the ball well, looking kind of more like the guy you expect him to be. And I, I know that George has also talked about his appreciation for the playoffs. Obviously, he's a guy that's actually made it um, a lot in his career. Someone like David Phelps, I wrote about this. Like he, he went for his first time in the rookie season 10 years ago and hasn't been back since. And so whether you're in it every year or not, there is a level of appreciation, I think, for getting to the postseason and thinking, I don't want to look back in November and think I should have done this or I regret this or whatever. So I think that George has also sort of lived through that and, and has lived that lesson of having to appreciate the playoffs and just never wanting to look back and think you have anything to regret. And so I, I think that's probably a lesson that he's going to pass on that he's going to also show by example. I wonder too, how much he can lean on last year and just be like, remember how you guys felt after coming up one game short and, and you know, game 162, you're standing there huddled around a TV and find out you're not making it. Uh, do you want that? But like times infinity when you're in the playoffs and, and it doesn't work out. Um, so a helpful one there. Uh, the Jays do have potentially two games left to uh, continue tuning up for the playoffs or, or doing what they need to do um, in terms of getting guys reps, getting guys rest, etc. cetera. Um, I say probably because no one sounds all that certain that uh, we're going to get tonight's game in Caitlin. Um, can we get a, a quick weather report out your window? It is. Well, it's still gray and cloudy. It's been raining all morning and pretty much most of the afternoon. I'm going to walk over and see if it's actually raining right now. I think it's actually stopped raining um, at the moment, but it's still quite gray. And if it stopped raining, it's been pretty recent. So, I mean, the field has to be like <laughs> soaking wet at this point. So I don't know. Um, I, I can never guess these things, honestly. Sometimes I'm like, there's no way this game happens. And then it happens. Um, and then I thought it was going to get postponed or, or rain delayed <laughs> like a million times last night. Yeah, I mean, last night, I kind of, it was, it was a weird situation because I thought at, at the very least, like, it would be delayed even if it wasn't raining just because I think most of the players were, like, operating under the assumption that it would be delayed a little bit, just, like, maybe to get the field ready. But they came out at, like, 6.30 and kind of just, like, started getting the field ready right away and it was like oh okay i guess this is starting on time there's no delay and i think when it started or just before it started it wasn't raining and then maybe like within the first it started lightly raining and it was pretty lightly raining for the first like i want to say like four-ish innings maybe in the or even maybe five but certainly by the fifth inning it started raining harder and then you kind of thought okay like maybe they'll just play six and then shut it down and then they just kept playing and playing and playing and that was weird because in the eighth like yeah sure it was raining pretty hard at that point but it had also been raining pretty hard for like two innings and they hadn't called it so obviously the field was just super wet but yeah we'll see i don't know i haven't like looked at the forecast like in the last hour or so whether like it's changed at all or something but yeah if if they play today it's probably going to be another wet one poor whit merrifield uh the game gets called <laughs> when he has a couple rbi opportunity and he's red hot um caleb what is the i mean it doesn't happen a lot so it's uh it's a bit of a weird question, but what is the room like when you guys are allowed in on a night like that? Because I, I would imagine John Schneider's conversation with the crew chief 
before everyone went into the clubhouse was that, yeah, we're going to call this game, but the rules say we have to wait half an hour. Um, were the Jays operating that way? What what was the vibe like when uh, when you guys were allowed in there? You know, magic number down to one and all of that. Um, yeah, I guess we didn't really go in the clubhouse hmm. last night. I don't know why. I think it was because most of them were like kind of because they sat there and waited for a long time. And then, so then we didn't go down until it was officially called. So I think at that point, most of the guys were like eating their dinner and like mm. getting ready to leave. But, um, but I mean, Whit Maryfield talked to us after the game and he mentioned, I mean, they were all kind of had one eye on the Tigers game at that point. Like I think when Whit came out to talk to us about his game and whatever he had mentioned, like, Oh, and like the Tigers just went up three one. Happy Bias hit a home run. Like so, they were all watching it, and um, I know that most of the players probably had it on their phones or, or whatever. Um, and so, I mean, the vibe was probably pretty good. I think that the focus with them has just sort of been on themselves, which I think is good. They're again, like going back to last year, I think they've kind of learned their lesson of like we don't want to rely on anyone else. Like we understand that we could get some favors from other teams. But at the end of the day, like, let's just do it ourselves, guys. And so they kind of have in the sense that, like, they did win four straight. They really didn't take the pedal off at all. I almost think that they've looked better since they've clinched in the sense of maybe there was some nerves and some tightness just before they were trying to clinch that playoff spot or, like, as they were getting very close. And granted, they were playing the Yankees at that point in that Yankee series. I think I said before, like, it was just very, like, suffocating because of the uh, judge stuff. So I found it to be kind of a weird vibe that, that series but I think they've just played really like freely the last couple of nights and obviously the playoffs are going to come with huge stakes so I don't know if they can maintain that but the way that they've been playing lately I think is they've looked really good to me yeah I I would agree with that for sure um you know you got some you've gotten some good pitching appearances some good bullpen work the the bats are still going um Caitlin these last two games you know not important for the standings really uh, mostly about keeping guys fresh and in routine and getting some rest and stuff. Uh, but the one thing that keeps occurring to me about the inclement weather in Baltimore, and maybe this is something you talked to John Schneider about yesterday, or it'll come up today, but um, the limitations on getting on field work in and maybe even in terms of how many games left there are to get guys in. Um, could the could this weather have a negative impact on the readiness of a Santiago Espinal or Lourdes Gurriel Jr. for the wildcard series? I think so. And, I mean, the weather is playing a part of, part of it, but I think if it, even if it was, like, sunny days here, it's still kind of a question mark. I think it's two different cases, I guess. So in the case of, like... Uh, Santiago Espinal in second. I mean, the way that Whit Merrifield is playing right now, I don't think you would want to remove Whit Merrifield from the equation regardless. And that's no slight to Biggio or Espinal. It's just like he's swinging the hot bat right now. And in the postseason in such a short series, you just got to go with the guys that are hitting, right? And so you don't, you can't really afford Espinal like a game or two to get his timing right at the plate. And so I think that him and the same goes for Gurriel, will probably be more likely to be pinch hit uh, roles in that wild card series. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. talked to us yesterday and he said as much, honestly, like he said he's feeling good. And the hope was that he could face some pitching today, like some live pitching. The Blue Jays have a taxi squad here. So like Julian Merriweather's here and Matt Gage is here. So they could throw to him. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen because of the weather, but he kind of said like, he thinks he'll be ready for the postseason, but 
that probably starting out and it would be pinch hitting. And then you got Tapia who's swinging the bat pretty well. He's doing a good job. I think he's holding his own completely in left field. And again, it's like he's been playing consistently lately. He's been part of this last stretch run here. And you don't really want to fiddle with that. You don't want to remove him for a guy like Lourdes who hasn't played since September 7th or whatever it is. Um, and it's going to be coming in kind of cold. So I think like the nice thing is that at least Whit Merrifield has been playing really well. So I think the Blue Jays like are in a good situation there. I would say Tapia has been playing pretty well as well. He's been making a lot of contact as he does. So I think the Blue Jays are in a good situation. It's unfortunate for those two guys that might not get into the postseason as much as possible, at least at the start, but they would probably agree that it's for the betterment of the team. And I think they'd be happy regardless as long as they win. So the Gurriel and Espinal statuses will have an impact on which position players make this wild card roster. And as we've discussed on this show, you can change your roster up between series. So you're only locked into that for three games. If you don't include Gurriel or Espinal because they're not ready, that doesn't rule them out for the divisional series. Um, Caitlin, when I went through Ben Nicholson Smith and I yesterday went through and kind of came up with our 26 player roster and it only included 12 pitchers because it's a three-game series, and you you probably aren't going to need that mop-up role or, or that extra, you know, ninth or tenth bullpen arm. Um, when it comes to later rounds, though, where you maybe think about your pitching staff a little differently, how much would you say is on the line for Mitch White tonight and you say Kikuchi tomorrow in terms of their potential playoff roles? Yeah, I do think it's going to come down to those two, and I would agree with your and Ben's assessment that you don't need the extra bulk for the wildcard series because functioning as that bulk, I, I think my guess would be Jose Brios in the sense of like, if things go haywire in one of those games, for whatever reason, he's probably your like press an emergency button guy. Um, so I think that when it comes to the DS, should they get there, you're going to need another one. You're going to need another bulk guy because you'll need four starters for that series. So I think that, how they pitch these next two games, as mean they happen, we'll kind of determine who gets it. And obviously they both come with some question marks that are almost completely different. Like Mitch White is probably going to give you some reliability in the sense that he's not going to necessarily like hit batters or walk a ton of guys, but maybe he doesn't have the swing and miss that Kikuchi has. Right. But Kikuchi, while you get the swing and miss upside, you know, we don't know. Sometimes he can't locate the fastball and sometimes he's hitting guys and walking four guys in a row. And so it will be a decision where do the Blue Jays go for a little bit of maybe reliability um, over some upside or do they go for the upside? Um, I don't believe that either, either of them would have any playoff experience or, you know, maybe Mitch White was around the Dodgers in a postseason, uh, taxi squad or otherwise, I'm not sure. And then Kikuchi wouldn't have, because uh, obviously Seattle only made it back this year. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, like that, that is an interesting decision. Um, I don't know that it's going to like make or break the roster. My, I don't know, maybe this is a hot take. My inclination would be to just go for Kikuchi. I think I would risk it for the upside you know, and then the lefty out of the pen, like, just gives you a bit of an advantage. And yeah, are you, are you going to hesitate to put him in a one-run game? Uh huh. Like, of course you are. But it's just another weapon, right? And I do think the lefty from the pen throws hard is probably a little bit more helpful, even if it comes with risk for the Blue Jays. Yeah, I would agree with that. And to be honest, as high as I am on, on Mitch White. 
in general and longer term, he really hasn't been able to put it together since he he came to Toronto with the exception of that one outing. So uh, hard to make a case there, at least like you laid out. Kikuchi has some functional elements that you could see you could squint and see it working <laughs> or or being helpful in a you know in a mop-up scenario in a longer series uh kayla mcgrath stay dry stay get, you. get your rest in where you can uh big series this weekend i will see you friday thank you so much for taking the time out of course thank you as always kayla mcgrath of the athletic of the spin rate podcast check out all her great work there she'll be all over the Jays coverage uh, this next little bit. And she is down in Baltimore. So if there's a game tonight, I'm sure she'll have something for us off of that as well. A couple quick questions in the text line before we take a break and talk to Buck Martinez on the other side. Um, someone asked if, uh, if games get called early, uh, do bets on that game pay out or not? I, I think this is one where you read the fine print on the bet and the book you're using. I've had them void in the past. Uh, just got a text from JD Bunkus um, who his froze last night. They, they froze the bet. They voided it last night because the game was called. So, uh, and it won't be made up. So just uh, read the fine prints there. And again, as we noted uh, last segment before we took a break, if tonight's game is rained out, uh, it sounds like no doubleheader tomorrow. The Jays will just finish the year with 161 since it doesn't matter for the standings. They're locked into their spot. Let's take a break. Let's talk to Buck Martinez on the other side on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. 